0: My name is Chris Drent, I'm an elder here at Mission Road, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to share this time with you to talk about what our new series is. And we're in a new series uh, just started. Um, last week Aaron kicked us off with Discipleship and Change, and um, if, you, if you know our mission statement which we rehearse weekly, uh, it's important that, that not only do we rehearse the purpose that we have but we we purpose to grow in it by studying by encouraging each other by talking through what, what that means and so that's what we are doing um, in this series and i'm excited i'm, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we all grow as a church body in, in how to do this and the desire to do this and so would you pray with me and, and we'll get started this morning lord we we thank you for the clarity of the call to be involved in each other's life. Um, I thank you for this series and and this first hour that we get to um, lean in to your calling for us to not only know you and grow in you, but to help others do the same. Please use this series, and even this morning, to help us as a body grow. For some, Lord, I pray that it would um, maybe for the first time challenge and and, uh, wake people to really be engaged in the life of another in this way, as as we see called out in Scripture. For others that are actively involved with this, Lord, I ask that, that as we look at your word, you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, would um, refresh and, and and strengthen and encourage to cause us to excel all the more. And, and in all cases, Lord, that we would be spurred toward you and to recognize our need for our Savior. And uh, Lord, please help my words and communication to be clear um, and to be helpful um, and that we would all grow uh, because your truth applied is powerful through the work of your uh, Spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just to reintroduce, um, as I mentioned, last week we kicked off uh, Discipleship and Change, this series. Um, It is based on our mission statement, and if you have a handout, um, you'll see that it's at the top. If you don't have a handout, there should be some in the back. Um, Does anybody not have a handout? Looks like most people got them. There's a whole row of high schoolers right here that had no idea there were a handout. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Mark. Mark's going for them. Appreciate that. Um, pop quiz. Looking at our mission statement, what is the method by which we, as a church, aim to glorify God and spread a passion for His glory? Hey, this is the interactive part. I know it's weird. I'm a, I'm up here. <laughs> you can actually respond. But what is the method? by making disciples and shepherding them. And isn't that interesting that um, I mean, it's, it's not an accident that, that the entire thing hinges on that. We, Mission Road Bible Church, the church body here, we exist to magnify God and spread a passion for his glory by, these are very well carefully chosen words, um, by making disciples and shepherding them to value Jesus Christ above all else and every dimension of life as regulated by the Word of God. What this is a call to is to remember that we as a church body are to be influencing, having an effort, working toward glorifying God by doing this as a church body because we believe we, this is instructed by the Word of God. And so we wish to build up that purpose today. That's the primary focus of this series. Um, As Aaron kicked us off last week, uh, I'll just do a quick recap because I'm going to just build on what he said, keep saying the same thing and build a little bit more on what he said. Uh, We looked on what is a uh, disciple in general. Uh, We learned that that's a follower and not just a, a learner and a pupil, but someone who's specifically identified by their master. We as Christians are followers of Christ, and we are identified by our master. It shapes who we are. It identifies who we are. Uh, Aaron brought up that there are two types of discipleship that happen here at Mission Road, Uh, generally speaking. There's corporate discipleship and individual discipleship. I had in my notes and a takeaway that I had, I'll share, um, that both are needed and we shouldn't neglect one for the other. We should celebrate, we should support, we should get behind both of those. Um, in corporate worship, it's what we do this morning a lot of. Uh, we do it another times of the week sometimes, but Sunday mornings, it's the preaching, it's the teaching, it's the singing and, and teaching and encouraging each other, um, practicing what Jesus prescribed for rescuing and restoring people that are wandering off from this body in Matthew 18. It's, it's remembering and celebrating Christ together, the gospel and communion, or celebrating that in baptism. and, and, and These are things that we do together, corporately, and, and that's a form of discipleship that I hope you're actively engaged in, praying, um, along with getting behind, supporting. But then there's the individual discipleship, which is the focus of this particular series and what we're trying to lean into and get practical with by both highlighting what Scripture instructs and then drawing that into the so what. We pointed out that individual discipleship in our church is, uh, there are a couple of definitions, and we'll we'll be rehearsing this a lot, so I hope you get used to it. It's practicing personal friendship with one another in a way that helps them follow Jesus so so that they look more like Jesus as a result of the friendship that we're pursuing with them. We can point them to Christ, encourage them with Christ. They're intentional relationships, building intentional relationships for that purpose. Now that's a looser definition than I think some people have when they first think of discipleship or maybe they've heard of it in a different context. Um, Or maybe it's it's, uh, exactly what you've seen in the past and done and, and experienced. But we want us all to be on the same page so that we're not too narrow in what we think discipleship is or that we don't water down too much. This is an intentional thing. So we, we have the intention of having these relationships, engaging these relationships with one another for the sake of doing spiritual good, uh, for sanctifying change. Um, Aaron also touched on the fact that what is involved is more than knowledge, and I think that's important, particularly this morning as we lean further into who's going to be doing this, what are the things that we're trying to do. Guys, this is not just teaching of knowledge like, like in a classroom. Um, It's more than growing in knowledge and passing it on. It reaches into our lifestyle, our ethics, our attitudes, our motives, our goals. To be more like Christ is not to just know more about Him, but it's to to live like Him, right? And if I'm going to help somebody do that, I've got to be passionate about who Christ is, who Jesus as as a man, how He walked, how He modeled that, and I wish to... To grow in that, and if I'm purposing to grow in that, to help others do that as well. And that's more than just knowing about him, right? And how, how amazing is that, uh, that we can, by God's grace, engage each other to do that. So what does it matter? He left us with a couple of points. One of them is a matter of obedience. Scripture says we should be doing this. The God's word gives instruction to do this. And it has a lot to do with the identity that we have in in the church body. We are part of the church body. So we're going to expound and build on a few of these points by talking about it, you'll see in your handout, who is called to disciple. Let's let's use scripture to inform our thinking about whether or not I'm thinking rightly about who's really called to do this and, and what that looks like. And then we'll hit on some prerequisites. I'd like to dispel in our hearts any limitations, artificial limitations that we're putting on ourselves or our church for discipling each other, for being involved in this way, all right? Now, I've been challenged by this. I've been working through scripture and passages um, for a while on this. We as an elder team have been working on, through these and, and uh, we've been through some training, and a number, number of us have been through uh, some biblical counseling training that is essentially discipleship. Um, and every time I go through, I'm encouraged and challenged. So I, I pray this is the same, same effect this morning. This morning, what, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. When you think of someone who um, models living for Christ, um, growing in Christ, when you think of someone who disciples people to grow in maturity in Christ, someone who bears burdens with each other, who stops to listen about what's going on in people's lives and, and offer counsel that is intended to show what God says about that. When you think of someone like that, who comes to mind? Um, I don't want you to speak, That's, this is not the respond part. Um, do you have faces and names that come to mind? I hope you do. Particularly if you've been around this church body for a while, I hope you recognize that we have people in this church that are gifted at this, but they're also just being obedient They've grown in this. And um, I pray that you've either seen it and been encouraged by it or you've been the direct recipient of that. Um, Here's the next question I have. Do you put yourself in that category? Um, Would others put you in this category? Um, This is where the challenging part comes (laughs) in my heart, and I want to encourage you with. Um, But if you would put yourself in that category, humbly, I mean, I hope our time this morning does spur you on and remind you and give you some practical things. I hope this whole series does that. Um, If you would not put that, put yourself in that category, my prayer is that you'd be encouraged, spurred on to grow in the pursuit of learning how to do this, because we're, we're called to it and, and we're capable of it in, in, in the grace of, of, of Christ. But perhaps you're someone who would say, well, yes, I, I do that and I know how to do that, but you know, come to think of it, now that we're on the topic, it's, it's been a little while, or honestly, I don't do that much, and I wish I could grow. Please, be praying during the week, being praying in between and engaging these Sunday morning times as we fellowship in this. That the Lord would, would, would help you and encourage you and, and, and spur you on. Um, here is something I'd like some, some interaction about. Um, here's my, my question that I saw speaking back as I, as I was praying through some of these passages we're gonna look at. Um, what keeps Christians from discipling? What keeps Christians from engaging in intentional friendships? Whether that's in a formal way or an informal way, so that we can do spiritual good, we can point people to Christ more, we can have that reciprocating encouragement in, the, in, in our salvation in the gospel. Uh, what keeps us from doing that, or Christians in general? What are some of the things that you have recognized, either in your own life or in others, that, that maybe limit us in doing that? Any ideas? perception of busyness. Dr. Obi's even giving us a little bit of, a, of, a, of an on-ramp there. Not only are we busy, but we just perceive that we're busy, and that's absolutely true. Um, we are all so busy. That's true. What, what other excuses or reasons might we have? Kind of along that same line, but just selfishness. Selfishness? Yeah, you know what? I've got a lot of things about me today, and I just can't step outside that world right now. Kind of all consumed by it. Um, heavy things going on right now busy yeah okay feeling you don't have enough in common with that other person and I see the person I could probably do something but I just don't connect okay that could be it pride 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 Wow, that actually <laughs> speaks into a lot of the reasons as well. Um, but that is true. Pride is, is at the heart of some of the self-preservation, the, even some of the selfishness. Good. Any others that come to mind? Priorities. Okay. What's that? Age. Hmm. Sometimes age could be the reason. A big gap there, or maybe I'm too young to do this. Fear of rejection. Boy, you're getting in someone's kitchen when you start talking about these things spiritually. How are you doing with prayer? How can I encourage you in that? And everybody's just like, Oh right? Anything else? Yeah. 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 Hey, I don't want to be perceived as nosy. So a lot of perception here, I get that. Does anybody else feel like the lack of maybe the inadequacy to counsel? Inadequacy to handle, man, what's it take to just disciple someone? Is that over overwhelming to you? Um I feel that sometimes. Maybe I'm not, maybe I don't know enough. Maybe I'm not equipped enough. Um how about this one? That's someone else's job this person really needs some discipleship, really needs some help, really needs, I mean, I should point them to a professional. Now, we talk a lot about that in this church. We try to often bring that up. But guys, it's still in our hearts. I still see tendencies in my heart and other people's hearts. That's a little bit different for me because I'm an elder now, and so I can't really pass the buck quite as easy Um, when you're in leadership, you know. but it, the reality is, is that I see this in our, in our hearts. We like to think it's someone else's job. Um, leave it to someone more competent, more capable, more trained. Uh, there are counselors for that. There are pastors for that. Pastor Rick, he, he disciples everybody in our church, right? Um, so if we look at Scripture, I don't think we're going to see any of those given as reasons for what is a prerequisite. That's why this is on our list here today. Who is called to counsel and what are the prerequisites? It's it's to dispel myths and and uphold what is really there. Can we just turn to a couple of passages briefly? Um, This is a topical study. We're looking at, if you looked at all of scripture, uh, what would it say about who's to be doing this? Uh, Could you open to Romans 15? There there are a bunch of these. Uh, But if we look at Romans 15 verse Fourteen. Um, actually, I'm going to back up to verse thirteen, and we'll walk through a, a couple of these. These are these are familiar passages. I like using those because we all go, "Oh yeah, I know that," and then we go, "Oh, we're looking at this." <laughs> I, I uh, you're right. I should know this. Uh, I like the reminders. Uh, Verse 14 is what we're zeroing in on, but I'll back up to 13 for a little bit of context. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then here's verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Admonish. Um, that's an act of correcting someone's thinking and action to be more like Christ. In this case, uh, this is a very discipleship-like action. Um, look at the progression. It, it's in believing, God fills them with joy and peace so that they will abound in hope. And the Holy Spirit produces in them, with his power, this, this hope. And because of that power that God is at work in the church in Rome, <clears throat> Paul is confident that these people are knowledgeable and they're able to admonish one another. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to just professional disciplers or an upper tier of Christianity uh, that people have attained in maturity? Is he talking to just the elders of this church in Rome? You know, in the context, he he is laying out what the whole church should be engaged in, and I find that instructive. It's again, not a new revelation to most of us, but it's a great reminder that there's no particular role or tier or maturity that that's really standard. Uh, a standard for. Um, we see another one in First Thessalonians five. This is a, a common one. Let's, let's look at First Thessalonians five fourteen and fifteen. Uh, we I, I'm reminded in this often uh, in in counseling or in in interacting with people. Uh, it's a good instructive one, and it it, it basically says to do a lot of the things that we do when we're trying to do spiritual good in a relationship. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. We urge you, brethren. Brethren, we'll have to ask who that is in a moment. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Actually, if you keep going, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. That's a lot of instruction right there. And that sounds like our very definition of having a relationship with someone and being able to correct, to encourage, to help, to come alongside This is is counseling. This is discipleship. This is burdening with someone. So the question is, who is the brethren? And I think not only in the context of of the letter to this church, would you find it's the entire church body who are believers and who are a part a member, if you will, of the church. But you'll even back up a few verses and see that he just got done instructing everybody. That, by the way, you should really appreciate those leaders and the pastoral people in your life. And uh, so in other words, this isn't just them. This is all of the body. This is all of us. And we're called to this. There are many others. I'll just give you a few. If you're taking notes, you can write down Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. It says, take care, brethren, that they're not be in any one of you an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another, day it after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's that's not just a person, this is not just you, even, this is the call. We're obedient to follow this, which is to do this. You're sitting in a pew, look next to you. Worry about that person, that woman, that man, that child. You're called to this. And you know what? This is, this, is, um, this is what we mean by discipleship. That's an element of that. There's, an, there's more in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. One another. Do you remember last week, Aaron mentioned the one-anothers and we use this as a shorthand, the one-anothers, shorthand for all of these, these times where scripture says, this is what you do with one another, not just me to other people, but them to me. And guys, that's part of discipleship that we're calling us to. The friendship is two ways. One-anothers, um, we find so many of those, love one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, confess sins to one another. Um, This is what we're called to. And Aaron landed us last week squarely on this is an obedience factor. If you're a Christian, you should be doing this. Um, There are a few other favorites. Colossians 3.15. I'm just going to mention that one briefly because it's very similar. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. He even gives the how, and as a a music guy, I love this part, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's a command. We do that corporately. We disciple each other corporately that way. We also do it individually, hopefully. Hopefully your heart sings praises of God, maybe not always in song, but I hope that that's the case. There are many others, but clearly God's word is calling all of us to be doing these activities. And if we, just think about this for a second. If we left it, if we really did bow out and say, I'll leave this to somebody else, we'll leave it to just a few gifted individuals, the, 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 the super Christians, maybe the people who are vocationally to do this, what would happen? What would our church body look like if that were kind of the norm of the understanding? Well, first of all, we would not be the kind of follower that Scripture called us to be to begin with. We'd be, um, we'd be severely lacking in our obedience, but we would also be lacking in the type of fellowship that God designed us to be in. There would be a lot of unmet needs in our church. Can you imagine the lines of people that just needed to talk about simple, basic things with the five or ten people that were given that title I know churches like this. I know churches that actually have to fight this because they actually have a counseling center. And so they just funnel everybody that way. We don't have necessarily a counseling center, but we have people that are very engaged in that. And they're neck deep in these things. But there will be a lot of unmet needs in the church body if these are not all being done by all of us because God designed it to work as though we're all involved at some level. If you are a Christian and you are growing in Christ, and you understand his truth, then, then there's a call to do this. Even though there are some requirements, which we're verging into now, but Aaron mentioned last week 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, the body analogy. There are many parts of the body, and they all care for each other. The hand just doesn't say to the foot, I don't need you, or hey, I know you're hurt and you stepped on a tack, but I'm just going to leave it in there. It's going to help. That's, that's the analogy, right? So God designed the body such that all the parts care for the body and not just a few important parts. You know, know, I feel like that's kind of esoteric sometimes, that analogy. And I know you guys are really smart, but it takes a little while for me to kind of connect that with reality. How about this one? You think there's someone here that may be struggling with just contentment at work? You think there might be someone who might be parenting a teen that might be frustrated or exasperated or just at the end of their rope? These are, these are common problems. And you know what? As, as we grow in them, I hope we all learn to apply truth, wisdom in practical ways. So let's talk about what is required. Are there prerequisites? Yes, there are prerequisites. For you to be involved in discipling and counseling and in advising and building up, there are requirements. I've got a few of them here. I'm not going to be exhaustive on this. I I just want to point out some of the obvious ones that I think we should all not only understand and acknowledge and nod to and say, why are we talking about this? I think we got this. Um, But to fellowship in it a bit, to build each other up a bit, First of all, you must be a follower of Christ. To to make disciples, you must be a disciple. That makes sense, right? Uh, Our mission statement, the Great great Commission, um, (laughs) was two prongs of the Great Commission was, go make disciples and then shepherd them, right? Teach them all that I've taught you. That was the first command to the disciples that Jesus had and they were to go do that more. So we know that one of the things that he was saying is that you're a disciple of mine. You must have come to understand the gospel, believed that this good news is true, and submitted yourself to Christ. So you you need to be a, a disciple. You also need to be following. You need to be following Christ. Not perfectly. That's not the requirement. I want to lower the bar for anybody that says, I don't follow Christ perfectly enough, if that's your definition, it's gonna be really hard to discern whether or not you're, you're qualified for this. You must be following, not to some imaginary self-invented level of spirituality, but the requirement is that you're following. You're pursuing, growing in his grace and wisdom. You're purposing to live and walk in his wisdom, in his grace, because you need it. You're repenting from sin when God shows you that by his grace. And you rejoice in the forgiveness that he offers you. If if, if this is you, this is a very basic definition of a Christian, right? But if you are a disciple and you're following him, that's the first primary requirement to be able to make disciples. And it's the basis. The second one is we need to have a fundamental knowledge of God's word and discernment with that. Again, this is one that I think we can set an artificially high bar for. I don't want to say that it's not required. It is. You can't just go out and start showing people how to be Christians without knowing what God's word says about that. But what I want to, I want to be encouraged and rehearse what God's word says about change. And I'll summarize this um, as well. But first of all, we have to have a theology of change, an accurate theology of change. Um, We see so much misinformation even in the in the Christian circles about what causes change where our hope is in change if you've ever tried to change yourself you know this is impossible business I can't change my own heart and my heart when I didn't understand the truth of scripture I got I had to either start faking it to to fit into this Christian culture or I had to just admit I couldn't do it. You know what, Scripture agrees with that. I can't change myself. Scripture says I am a fallen sinner with no ability to change myself. I need an alien righteousness, I need alien help, something outside of myself. And so we need to start with the gospel to have a correct theology of where change comes from. We must know that it is possible though, guys, if you're going to help someone else change, you yourself have to be convinced that change is possible, or you're going to start giving excuses to people, hey, it's okay, nobody's perfect. It's okay, God loves you just the way you are. We, do we hear stuff like this? Do, does my heart even want to say that sometimes? When I look here, my theology of change tells me I, I'm not okay the way I am. That's why the blood of Christ had to be shed. That's why the only son of God had to die so that I can change. There are no excuses because the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the power that works in me to make me more Christ-like. He who began this work to make you Christ-like, Philippians 1, 6, he who began this work will complete it in you. Change is possible. So, if as we look at scripture and we look at these passages, when we look at why Christ came, Titus 2, Christ came that we would be trained in righteousness and to give up all of this sin, that he would have a people of his own possession, zealous for good works, able to just, he can call us his own. Um, he came for that purpose. We must have a biblical view of what changes us and how we are changed. If we're, if we're warped in, in what, what changes us, um, then we're going to put out a hope that will leave people lacking, right? We're going to put emphasis on my ability to really do a good job of training someone. That's my hope in changing someone. No, I couldn't even change myself. We would fail and can't change the heart of a person. And I, it would leave us discouraged of doing this type of discipleship. And so a correct theology of change is good and it's found in the gospel. The power of change comes from the power of what Christ won for us in the cross what the Holy Spirit is actively working in to change us daily. Uh, So change is not the result of my effort, my effectiveness of teaching, my ability to to, to care enough for somebody to follow through enough, to police someone's behavior enough. Those are things I may want to do as a friend, but my hope in change is what the gospel does, what Christ does in me. My hope for change is not even that I, if I need to change something, have have you guys ever sat under a sermon exactly about what you need to change about and say, good, I know the right thing, and walk away and then wonder why you don't change? (laughs) The meditation on that the conviction of that through the holy spirit working that's where we put our hope and i just wanted to draw attention to that because i myself have been discouraged in discipleship at times if you've ever been here man i just i'm just not doing it right hey remember the lord is with you humble yourself before him pray seek truth and apply truth and our hope for my change is in christ and his effectiveness and My hope for your change isn't the same. Paul Tripp, at the beginning of his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, which we did a while ago uh, in in care groups, um, at the very beginning of his book, lists a number of those things, and he says our hope for change and our message must be the good news of Christ. First and foremost. He breathes life. This is what he does to remind us. He just kind of lazies out. The good news about Jesus is that he breathes life into dead hearts so that we can comprehend and grasp our need for him. He lived sinlessly, keeping the law perfectly on our behalf. He laid down his life as a penalty for sin so that we can be forgiven. Listen to what he does to just affect change. He adopts us into his family giving us all the rights and privileges of his very children. He enables us by his grace to do what is right. He gives us his spirit. His spirit lives inside us, convicting us of sin, illuminating truth so that it makes sense, and giving us the power to obey. He places us in the body of Christ where we can learn and grow. He rules over every event for his glory and our good you hear all these Bible verses that you may have heard of or memorized just popping out? This is just rehearsing the truths of Scripture from about the gospel. He makes us objects of his eternal redemptive love. The Bible calls this change redemption. We are not only changed, but we are restored to God. Guys, this is what makes change possible. This is the very good news of Jesus Christ. And to be effective in discipleship in any capacity, we need to correct theology of change founded in the gospel. Does that make sense? The second thing that I would say that we need is a, is a growing, we need to be growing in grounded practical theology. Um, <laughs> growing in practical theology. Ah. Uh, I come from a long background of Bible churches and I struggled with this concept. So I actually put a little illustration in here. We're not really going to talk deeply about this. It's just kind of a sidebar. If you look at your handout, there's this um, illustration that actually Heath Lambert was teaching at a a conference on on this and and he used. And it was helpful to me. But he was talking about our need to grow in our, our theology over time. This is not deep seminary stuff necessarily. It's just growing in theology But he said there's a tendency, and this is one I recognize, so I hope this helps you. There are different types of study of the Bible. Which ones do you engage in? There's at the bottom of the triangle that forms a basis is is what we call exegetical theology. These are going to be some terms just to kind of give us some categories to speak in. And some people gravitate towards certain areas or another, and it's important to be well-rounded in this. And so I just want to bring it up. Exegetical theology. This is a study of the words and phrases of Scripture to understand what they mean. This is what did the author intend for this to mean. It forms a basis for just understanding, the, again, what the author meant. And then on top of that, we can put biblical theology. If you looked at, this is Understanding the message of the whole Bible. It's, it's uh, what is the entire story of the Bible, cover to cover, what's it about? What's its overarching theme? It's an important thing to grasp, and we can grow in that. There's systematic theology that sits on top. This is more topical. If I look cover to cover in Scripture and said, what does the whole Bible inform us, tell us, teach us about a particular topic, like the role of the Holy Spirit in my life? And his job. What does that say? And therefore, by proxy, what, what does God clearly communicate about this topic? Or prayer? Or someone asked the other day, angels. What does all of Scripture say about that topic? That's, that's systematic theology. Um, and it's a valuable part. But you'll notice that even trying to do that without some of a basis of, of exegetical theology would be, would be really, really dangerous. At uh, the, the very top of that pyramid is this, though practical theology. And here's why I bring this up. In discipleship, do you see people yearning for the practical? I do. Practical theology. This is how should a person respond to God's revelation in daily practical matters in life. Culture, ethics, um, family, marriage, parenting, career. Sometimes people like to chop off one part of this, guys. Some of us really like to get into the exegetical part and never get above that. Can I just encourage you, don't stop so soon, if that's your style. There are whole groups I know that basically mock the bottom of that pyramid because they say it's intellectual and heady. Let's get to the practical, but they've got no exegetical theology basis, biblical theology context, or systematic theology understanding, and they just wanna get right to the practical. That's unfounded. It's ungrounded. And so when we grow in theology, I don't know where you're at, but I had to be challenged to get very practical. So I can answer questions like, how do I spend my time and money? I can help others hopefully say, how do I handle losing a father to cancer as a teen? If I hadn't taken the opportunity, if others hadn't discipled me and encouraged me at that moment, I would have a whole lot less understanding of the practical theology that I now hold to. And if you talk with me, I will hopefully try to pass on as much of that as possible by modeling it and pointing you to this as to why you are called, whether you're a brand new believer or whether you've been living this for 60, 70 years, to affect the practical theology of others with what the Lord has taught you. And that's why we teach what we do here. And there's corporate shepherding and discipleship going into the exegetical, biblical, and systematic, and hopefully practical theology as well so that you can interact with each other. But one of the requirements is to have a reasonable handle on just what Scripture says. And don't stop short of making it practical, okay? I'm going to have to summarize and, and move on here, but, but that's a passion of many people here, and, and I hope you're, you're, you're taking opportunity to learn that because God has very practical things to say about practical life. We just heard a sermon a couple weeks ago about Second Peter 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Knowledge starts with that seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Do you believe that? It's been said that we're all counselors, actually. where <laughs> Some of us are just good counselors and bad counselors. You know, I'm a parent. My, my child has been bullied at school, and I respond to that. I'm modeling my theology, and I'm counseling my 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 child on how to think about this. If you are standing in the hall and someone says, "Hey, how you doing?" and you go, "Man, doing okay. How are you doing?" and they go, "I'm fine. I know, I know really how you doing." and they say, "Man, you know, work is just terrible right now. I've got this coworker. I've got this coworker that just is making my life miserable." Are you ready with practical theology to encourage, challenge how they're thinking about that person? Do you, do you commiserate? Because you're counseling at that moment, did you know that? Oh, I got the same thing, that's terrible. Man, hate that guy. There's Christ-likeness, right? That's our, that's our human side though, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if our whole church body was just growing because it's spreading? Oh, there's the verse that challenged me on that. I hope you guys keep coming back. We hope to get more and more practical with what that looks like, how to ask those questions, even in passing in the hall. Even if it's just at a care group dinner, it's not a regular Tuesday morning meeting at Starbucks with the Bible open, you know. How do we, how do, we do that well? Grow in your practical theology. Work that out. Don't stop short of that. Um, The the, the last part I have on here, humility and compassion. Over and over when we look at the one another's in Scripture, we see this requirement because we are a bunch of sinners saved by grace that is not (laughs) ours primarily first. It's Christ, and we are growing in it, right? And if we are to disciple each other, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, in the middle of all this practical, how to calling stuff, calling each other to things. um, Paul says this, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As we interact with each other, brothers, sisters, or to preserve the unity and peace in Christ, or to be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Um, 1 Peter 3, uh, I'm, I'm skipping around here, but if you want to write these down for growing in this later, I was, I was just reminded again. Uh, Peter, at the end of his instruction um, in verse 8, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, on how, he's talking about how to live godly lives. He reminds us of needing these qualities as we engage and interact. It says, to sum up, (laughs) all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, and he goes on and on and on. There are all these peppered, James talks about it, Paul talks about it, Peter talks about it, John talks, I mean, Jesus himself called us with so many one another's about love and unity. So there's a humility and a compassion required Even among the most spiritual, that's the reminder that we have to remember. Those with the greatest knowledge can even be puffed up. (laughs) So please, remember the humility, the compassion required to deal with people. Um, And as Paul said, look, we're doing this uh, with a gentle patience. So these are some of the prerequisites. But guys, can I just step back? Are, Are these really that high of a bar that we would excuse ourselves from this? Um, I think growing in this, there's a depth we will delve into for the rest of our lives and never find the bottom. We will always grow in. But if you're a follower of Christ and you're a disciple and you're following Him right now, if you understand the gospel, you have a theology of conversion, a theology of change, and you've seen that in your own life, even to a small degree, and you are pursuing the Lord. You are called to bring others with you in that. Spur others on in that. With humility and compassion and gentleness and love. So taking taking a step back one more time, um, practically what is discipling? It's building intentional friendships with people for the purpose of doing them spiritual good, helping them be more and look more like Christ. Christ. I just wanna encourage you, if you you don't have these qualities or you're concerned that maybe you don't have them enough, here's here's the thing, you're not actually exempt from discipleship in our church, you know why? Good news, you're in a body of Christ with other people that can disciple you. Can I encourage you that if there's anything lacking in this in your mind, (laughs) find someone, watch someone, You're surrounded by people that have the same calling and people that are actively engaged in this. Find someone to disciple you for a a season. Talk about those things. So the good news is you've got help, and they can get practical, even if they're still learning as well. So if you don't have these things, go get it. If you do have these things, even at a basic measure, go do it. Our church needs you. Our body needs you. Christ-designed God designed the church. Christ is the head of the church, and said, "This is how we will operate, and you will be blessed by doing it to others." You will probably learn. You guys, I see a number of disciplers out there right now. Tell me, I'm not. Tell me, I'm lying here if I am, because I wouldn't want to say this in front of everybody. But I get blessed more when I see the need in somebody else, and I say, "I recognize that need. I remember this passage." I've seen that change in me. Let me tell you that God is able. This truth is sufficient. This makes a difference and there's hope. When I do that, do you know who's hearing that message the loudest? It's my heart. It may even fall on deaf ears and they may not, or maybe the words all come out wrong and I do it all wrong and they're not blessed at all. I've been built up. So guys, do it. And, and, and if you're lacking some vibrancy in your life, this may be one of the things that God uses to spur that on. We were built with a self-blindness. I don't know why this is, but sometimes I can't see how this applies to me as much as I can see how it applies to you. I'm just slow. I'm an, I'm, but you know what? I see you hurting, and I go, God is hope. This is, he's got hope, the gospel. Here, let me preach this to you. And next thing you know, I said, man, I needed to hear that because it came from Scripture. And this is living and active. So can I just encourage you? If you don't have these, find it. It's here. That's that's the design. There's no shame in that. It's an encouragement to others to be able to do that with you. And if you do have it, please participate in it it's building intentional friendships for these hey if i were to just kind of say what are the things that go on i'm just going to say it again the things that happen is that first of all your your job is to model for someone what you're growing in spiritually it doesn't mean that you've attained it necessarily hey you know what i was encouraged about this morning cuz i needed it cuz i need this here model it here's how i am parenting Here's how I'm going to work. By by the way, my full time job, I'm a small business owner. I'm a CEO of a technology company. I need practical theology that says what does Scripture say about leading in a very intellectual, godless world? I'd love to fellowship with any of you about that. because I need the encouragement as much, but that's why the body is here. So we model it. When I learn that, I hope I will model that. Number two, talking with others about how they are living. Guys, if I'm having a relationship with you and I'm hearing about your workplace, I'm hearing about that, guess what? I'm talking with you and I'm learning about what you're challenged with. And if I see something that is not in line with scripture, this is not a judgmental moment of, here, come here, whack. This is a opportunity. For you to find joy in Christ. Listening to others so that they can grow in Christ-likeness and be able to interact and point them, living life in fellowship, point them to Christ, live in fellowship in Christ with them in a life that glorifies God. It is counseling and advising people in the hard times. This can happen in casual meeting times. This can happen in formal meeting times. This can happen in passing Sunday morning. In a few weeks, we'll talk about, hey, what are some examples of questions that you can just ask people (laughs) when they're walking by that might spur on a conversation? You know why? It's not a formula. It's a relationship. But you know what? You can go in intentional. You can show up here at church and before church and after church and between these services do as much discipleship as some people do in a year. If you're really intentional... You can do that. I've been affected by that. I hope our halls are marked with that. You can be intentional by meeting regularly, and you can meet at, I meet at coffee, but it doesn't have to be a seven-year commitment to work through every verse of the Bible um, on Tuesday mornings at Black Dog Coffee House. you know. Uh, It doesn't have to be that. God bless you if you do. Um, and And we'll encourage you to do stuff like that, but I don't want you to think that if I'm not doing that, I'm not discipling. Does that make sense? You can engage in these friendships in the halls, at care group, at work. So I hope this encourages you. I hope that by refreshing on the theology of change, the effectiveness of the gospel, the sufficiency of scripture that you've heard last week, this week, the obedience factor of what it takes, I hope you're encouraged. Um, regarding any of these things we have a few minutes I wonder, I wonder if anybody has any other challenges related to who is called to do this and, and what are the prerequisites do you guys have any questions about those or um, thoughts about that in our church that would be edifying to talk through Yeah, Gary. Chris, can you draw the line, because I, I think sometimes between evangelism and discipleship, there's that gray area where we don't know the person, but should we accept at least the prerequisite that the person at least claims to have a relationship with Christ? Yeah. Yeah, the question is, how do we draw the line when we're kind of in that between evangelism and discipleship and and, and we don't know whether a person is a believer. And, and that may sound surprising to some people, but the reality is there are a lot of people that live in the Christian world, and in the, even in the church and sit in pews like this, and even in our church that may say the same things, but they don't really know Jesus. They just know about him. They haven't really submitted to the gospel. They're just listening to it. Um, And then, how do we know the difference, and what does that matter? You know, let me—I don't know if I restated that right. Gary, is that right? Okay, let me give you what what I've learned, and um, I think what is supported in Scripture, and we see the call in in the church. You know what I've learned? I've learned there's not a lot of difference. If a person claims Christ, I have opportunity this week to go counsel some a couple that is in my family that is in crisis. They're married. I don't know that they know Christ. Their life does not model it at all. But you know what? They claim Christ. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe the gospel. They probably couldn't quote it to me. I don't know that. Uh, I'm going to go see, but I'm praying for them. How do I walk in there? Guys, I know that it requires conversion. I know that the Holy Spirit has got to indwell these people to do the change. This is drastic, drastic change that needs to happen freedom from deep depression, histories of abuse. They need Christ. They need the Holy Spirit. I don't know that they have that, but you know what I do? They at least claim Christ, so I walk in and I preach the gospel. I remind them of their theology of change. There is hope for change. It's found in Christ's. He he paid for it. He won for you all of the blessings in heaven that is required for this change. Let me show you some of those. You know what? I'm a believer and I need to hear that. If you're a believer and you already know Christ, you wouldn't be offended to hear that, would you? So I, I rehearse the power of the gospel for salvation and for conversion to myself with passion because I've been affected by that. And if they don't know God, they quickly want him, I hope. I hope that's winsome. And if they do know God, they're built up and reminded to follow him because they've fallen away and they're not living in a way they should. So I've kind of given up trying to discern. The Lord knows where they're at. But I do see if their life's not modeling that, I call them to repentance and I tell them all Christians need to repent when there is sin identified and the graciousness of God illuminates truth in our heart to show us how to do that. That's the power of what we're doing here, even if we are saved, right? So it's counseling with truth, putting hope in the right things. Um, does that help? Okay, good. Yeah, Jerry. Good question. Jerry asked These are some of the requirements to disciple. What are some of the requirements of somebody that is, that is going to be discipled? Um, we. Uh, <laughs> we use some terms, you know, uh, anybody who wants to be discipled, even a non-believer that says, hey, I'd love to know about this. this that's essentially discipling, right? We're, we're building a friendship and a relationship to work with them. Uh, it's not just transferring of knowledge. It's showing the lifestyle. Um, a willingness. Um, I'm going to call it a TAF Christian or a TAF person, <laughs> T-A-F. Uh, <laughs> teachable, available and faithful. If you're going to continue to meet with people, we use this all the time. If I'm going to be discipling with uh, somebody over time, um, (laughs) they have to be that type of person who's available. They're not, uh, a lot of times we'll start meeting and, and, and they're available for a while and they're teachable. But then over time, I start to see the teachableness wane and I say, hey, you don't look teachable. And they're like, yeah, you know, I may not continue to push that You know, if they're not hungry for it, there comes a point I could only storm the castle for so long. Available. Available. That means they're available every Tuesday, and then suddenly they don't show up. I can't make it this week. Can't make it that next week. And I'm chasing them, and I realize I'm chasing them, and they don't want to be chased. You know, eventually I just kind of say, okay, you know, I need need you to be available. And then the last one is faithful. Uh, If they start showing up, but if and then, and they never really have their homework done, or they've never really read the book that we're reading, or they don't really have anything to talk about, and they're just there because they're checking a box, I don't want them to believe this is a standard of righteousness that is earning some merit. They're checking a box meeting with a discipler. And so I kind of just call them on that and say, I, I need to learn to do this better, but um, hey, I need you to be faithful to this. Otherwise, this isn't just for me. This is for you. So f- teachable, available. Faithful, I put it that way because it sounds weird when we say we need a fat person, a faithful, available, teachable. I don't know if you've heard that. So I just say a TAF person. Nobody knows what that means. <clears throat> Those are some of the requirements uh, practically. Guys, and if you want more about this, uh, Devers' book, Mark Devers' book um, called Discipleship or Discipling, I, forget. I think it's Discipleship. Uh, it's a great book. It lowers the bar for how to do this. It makes it simple. It's a lot of what we're talking about here and it's encouraging and challenging at the same time.